Thank you for downloading this podcast from Bromley Town Church. We pray this message will refresh and encourage you. For further information about Bromley Town Church, you can go to our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com. Father, I worship you. I magnify you. You alone are worthy. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our lives, oh God. There is no one like you. You are the everlasting one. You are from everlasting to everlasting. Your ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, O oh Lord. Lord, we need you. Come to our hearts, O oh God, and minister your grace to us, I pray. Holy Spirit, hover and brood over our lives. May you be glorified. The glory belongs to you, Lord. The worship belongs to you. May you be high and lifted up in this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, uh, John Stevens was uh, preaching. John's not here this morning, in actual fact. He usually prays the drums for us. He preached excellently about Hebrews 11. I was listening to it this week, and I thought, my, this guy's going to go right through the whole passage. And then suddenly I got to the point where he said, like, we're moving swiftly on. We're going to leave this bit out. And I thought, I don't blame you, John. You've been giving a good account there. And it was excellent what he bought. So I would encourage you to listen to that message if you weren't here. It'll tie it in very much with what we've been speaking about. I've been talking about the life of the prophet Elijah. And uh, if you've got a Bible and you've been reading your Bible, particularly if you read in 1 Kings, you're reading there about the kings of Israel and Judah and about all the things that they were doing. And suddenly, as you come to 1 Kings 17, you come to this point, and this man, Elijah, appears on the scene. And it's almost as though he's come out of nowhere. Whoop, here comes Elijah. This guy is suddenly there, and he's suddenly making pronouncements, and he's doing things. And you think, well, where has this guy come from? He suddenly arrives. It's as if he's come from nowhere, and he's a mighty prophet of God. And here I am saying he's a mighty prophet of God, and yet when we look in another passage of the Bible, in James, where James refers to him, James actually says of Elijah, it starts off like this, Elijah was a man just as we are. And so here's this guy that's appearing on the scene, this guy that is taking first place, if you like, in the middle of this book written in the Bible, out of nowhere, Mr. Nowhere, from Mr. Nowhere town, out of the back end of nowhere, and suddenly he's there and he's up front, a mighty prophet of God, it gives us encouragement to say that God takes ordinary people, but it's not them that do anything. It's when ordinary people have put themselves in the hands of an extraordinary God that extraordinary things can happen. But you know, as we have read and as we have looked at this man, Elijah, the thing that grips my heart about him is that he was a man who was totally taken up with the purposes of God for his nation. Something that John mentioned last week, and I heard again, he encouraged you in terms of the Great Commission. He said, we are to go out, we have been called not to stay in, but we've been called to go out. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. But you know what? Sometimes our eyes can be focused downwards upon that statement. We're talking about nations and we're thinking about people groups, communities, we're thinking about our families, and so we're thinking about, okay, I need to go out and I need to make disciples 
of my family. But you know, that isn't what it says. In its crudest form, what the command of Jesus is, says is this. It says, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. Our task is not just to think about the ones and the twos of our families or the twos or threes down our street. Our hearts are to be to bring nations into discipleship. Teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded his disciples. Now when you really start to think of that, whether you're from the United Kingdom and you're thinking about the nation that represents the land mass that represents the United Kingdom, or whether you're from South Africa and you're thinking about the continent of South, uh, the country of South Africa and the continent of Africa, you're thinking of these vast land masses, or whether you're from India, Japan, wherever you may be from. And you're thinking about what represents the landmass of that nation. We need to lift up our eyes this morning and understand that our God has put this calling upon his people. He says, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of the nation." So when he's saying that to us, he's not just calling us to think about our next door neighbor, although that's a fantastic starting place, or our cousins or our brothers or our sisters or our mums and our dads. That is an awesome starting place. But he's actually calling us from the very top of the nation to the very bottom of the nation to see the nation itself return to the purposes of God, that for which it was created. The Santh, Sri Lanka. Think of Sri Lanka, a nation that needs to be brought into the purposes of God. For us here, because God has not made an accident of the fact that we're gathered in this place this morning, you're not here by accident, you're here by the divine calling of Almighty God. It is not a mistake that you're here, it is under His authority that He has brought you here this morning that you may be encouraged to have your eyes lifted up and to catch a vision of what He has called you to. Yes, he has called you to proclaim to the governments, to the civil services, to the police forces, to the judiciary, to the health service, to the education service, to the financial services and all that sector, to the farming community, every community that is based, every people group that is based in your nation that comes under your landmass. He has called us to lift up our eyes and to see that this is for the glory of God. The nation of the United Kingdom was not actually instituted to be a nation that was gathering to itself and becoming inward looking. It was to be a nation that is proclaiming the purposes of God, is sending out missionaries to the far ends of the earth. It is a nation that is instituting justice and sending righteous justice across the nations of the earth. It is a calling that is upon our nation, but it is a calling that has come under now the blankets of darkness and that is now being turned from the purposes of God to the purposes of the of the satanic powers and we see now instead of the United Kingdom exporting the word of God the United Kingdom is exporting the laws and commands of the flesh and it's true to say that some of the governments around the world that are still trying to hold up against what we would call or that this nation would call old-fashioned things they're holding to old-fashioned values. Oh, for goodness sake, we've moved on from there. And our government is one of those governments that is offering financial rewards or is saying to these people, hey, drop those, drop those laws. Come on, change them. 
You see, the things, the purposes of God, when they come under the hands of the enemy, start to be distorted. It is the purpose of the church to arise in this time. Why this time? Because the days are getting shorter. There is a day that has been appointed by God. He himself knows it. When the trumpet shall sound in the heavens, and the end of all things shall come to pass. Do you know one of the greatest sadnesses about that day, and I know that people and preachers often talk about these things, they talk about the day of the Lord and about the fact that, that there's going to be a separation and how we need to be ready. Do you know what the saddest thing about that day is? That day was never meant for mankind. That day was meant for the judgment of, of the angels, the fallen angels and for Satan himself. Man was not destined for hell. Man was destined to rule over God's creation. But because of what has happened, because of the corruption that has come through the, what, Satan and his fall, and then causing mankind to fall, mankind has been dragged into that day. It is a day of sadness. But that day is decreed. You see, we live our lives as though we're living for what we describe as normality. The fact that the times and the seasons are just carrying on. What's next on the agenda? Oh, Christmas. How many shopping days are there until Christmas? On the top of my head, I don't know, but I'm sure somebody does. How many? Did somebody say, Tim, do you know? No. Oh, I feel you. <laughs> what are we living for next? The reason that you are here is because you were called into being before your parents even made you for the purposes of God. That is the reason. Now, you know what? Our schools don't teach us that. Our society doesn't teach us that. So therefore, all the time, we're walking in a mindset battle against what the purposes of God are and actually what everybody else says. Everybody else is saying like, hey, whoa, these times are hard. Let's knuckle down. Let's make sure we have a good Christmas party this time in the office because it's going to take, you know, it's been woe is me and, and we're paying our electricity bills and our higher gas bills and our higher petrol bills and our higher everything bills. And we're struggling and we're, we're, we're working on that and it's tough. And so let's have a bit of joy. Let's have some Christmas fun. Let's do that. Let's concentrate on something. The purposes of God are what we're here for. The enemy wants to do everything that he can to distract our eyes, our minds, away from the purposes of God. That we become confused, that we become complacent, that we forget about those things. The discipleship of nations, who are we to disciple nations? Who are we? Called by God. Chosen by God. Creator and sustainer of the universe. We always forget, don't we? Oh, there's the stars in heaven. You know, how do we measure the stars? Light years. Why? Because there's no measuring stick that otherwise can get hold of it. And he is beyond the universe. If anybody can tell me how big the universe is, the scientists themselves are still seeking to discover how great it is. Listen, God is bigger than that. Where were you when the earth was formed? God, when he has this discussion with Job, He's debating about the issues of life and righteousness and all this sort of thing. Job with his friends and God breaks into the scene suddenly and says, whoa, 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 hang on a second. You tell me, where are the storehouses of the snow? Where are the light where's the lightning kept? Where are the hailstones kept? Who knows when the fawn is giving birth up in the mountain? Who knows the number of days? Every animal, every bird, God knows when they're going to give birth. He's watching over them. 
Who feeds the bird? Who feeds the animal? Who makes sure they have enough food? Who watches over them? Who is it who gives us the flowers? You walk into the, the flower cellar, or you walk into Marks and Spencers, there's all these beautiful display of flowers. Who has created them? Almighty God. He is the one who is before all things. He is the great, awesome King. He is the one who is in charge of all things. He is our strength. He is our helper. He is on our side. If God be for us, who can be against us? A man was affected by these thoughts. A man was changed by these thoughts. An ordinary man from an ordinary background. His name was Elijah. But he was different from us. How was he different from us? He was totally convinced that something had to change. And he gave himself all that he had, all that he was. He gave himself up for God. He yielded himself. He surrendered himself. I don't know what language you want to use, but instead of living for his own purposes, instead of worrying about his own career, instead of saying, like, okay, I think I'm in the line here of being a prophet. Okay, now I'm going to be the best prophet I can be. It wasn't about that. He was about the purposes of God. Something had touched his heart for his nation to such a degree, his only cry was enough. I've had enough of this. The way that people were living, the way that they were talking about faith, the way that they were conducting themselves was no longer honoring to God. He didn't know how to change it. He didn't have the answers. He wasn't just moved by it. He wasn't just sort of consumed by it and would talk about it to all of his friends. He'd got beyond that point. He'd got to a point where he said, God, whatever you want to do, I am here for you to accomplish it. No matter what it takes, no matter where you send me, no matter what you're going to do, my life is now given to you that you may accomplish your purposes in me. I am yours. I'm here for you. I give myself to you. You know, I think we hear, we talk about these things, and we are stirred about these things. But you know what? We go back to our offices, you go to your office tomorrow, you look around, and perhaps if you to even survey in your mind now, has your, have the people who represent the community of your office, or wherever you may be involved in a community, whether it's at the school gates, or on the train, or on the bus, or in the shops, or wherever it may be, you look at the people around you, are they upholding the laws of God? Have they lost sight of who God is? Is our nation been corrupted in its understanding and its knowledge of him? And the, we know the answer. The problem is this. Are we Elijah's in our situation? Because, you know, one of the things I realized that in preparing this week, I can preach the sermon that I have here. But, you know, this morning I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, is it just going to be another sermon of entertainment? Is it just going to be another sermon of gathering some more knowledge? Because, to be honest with you, that isn't good enough. You do not need more knowledge about Elijah. Knowledge, what's that going to get you? So that if you're at a quiz at the Christmas party and somebody says, who was Elijah? 
yes, yes. That's not the purpose for it being written. You know, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This isn't for our knowledge. This is for our endeavours. And therefore we need to be preaching not about knowledge, not about I can unpack the passage, I can unpack this passage further, I have done, I might even come to some of that in a minute. I can go through this, I can do what preachers are supposed to do, to go through verse by verse and give an explanation and understanding so that you might have more knowledge. We do not need more knowledge. More knowledge is not going to disciple the nation. And we've been called to that. We have been called to that. We haven't been called to be gatherers. We have been called to be those who are sent. Those who are about the purposes of God. Elijah had got to a point when he was prepared to give himself and he was prepared to stand in the gap for his people. What do I mean by stand in the gap? Here is God, and here is the people of Israel. There is a divide, there is a gulf between them. God is a holy God. Israel was a sinful nation. Holiness and sin do not mix. They are opposite. And so something needs to come between them. Something needs to stand in the middle. Elijah acted as a priest. A priest is somebody, if you like, who comes to an altar to draw the presence of God, that the presence of God may come near to the people. God is the one who is gracious, merciful, forgiving, kind. We see that from what he has done. Because the Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that if we have faith in Him, we might find forgiveness of our sins. In other words, Jesus was somebody who stepped into the middle of the gap to draw the gap together. Elijah was a man who stepped into the gap. You know, Ezekiel the prophet, after Elijah had been, because things, unfortunately, they they got a bit better, they got worse again. Ezekiel said this, I look for a man... He's speaking on behalf of God. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. What would God say to us this morning if he's saying, my people, will you stand in the gap for this nation? Will you act as priests? Will you seek to draw my presence wherever you go? Whatever the cost. So that the people who do not know God, the people who think that he isn't real, the people who are desperate for him but can't find him, the people who need his touch, 
the blind, the broken, the wounded, the hurting, the people who are in our offices. Do you know those people who are smartly dressed, who seem to have it all going for them, and yet when you have a coffee with them or you have a conversation, one day suddenly you start to hear about the real situation, the truth behind the mask of their face. And you hear of the desperate need, the need to know a loving God, a God who loves them more than we can ever imagine, a God who is not opposed to them, a God who is not a finger-wagging sort of person, but a God who is earnestly desiring that they should be brought to him. Now, as I was saying, I prepared this sermon and I can, I can preach this sermon, but you know, I got to the point, I knew this. The sermon that I prepared today, it doesn't particularly tell you anything. Yes, it unpacks passages of Scripture. Yes, it can be shown that I'm going through the story of the widow and the things that are happening here. Yes, I could tick off a number of points. But I got to this point of thinking, like, why do I want to preach that? Because I want to preach a good sermon to you, because I want to be satisfied in what I've said, so I want you to be happy, I want you to walk away from here feeling a touch of God, because that then makes me feel better, it makes you feel better, and we can all go back and live our lives happily until next week when we can address the same issues. And I thought to myself, God, I cannot do that. Because you don't need me. What you need is God. There's no point in you coming to this place to be entertained by me, or to hope that I might say something that might lift you up, because you don't need me because I am the same as you. I am a human being that has faults and failings, weaknesses. Some are obvious to you, some aren't. Certainly they are more at home or whatever. I'm no different from you. You don't need me. What you need, what your hearts are desperate for, is an encounter with the living God. That is what you need. And you know what? We come to this church, we come to our times of worship, we come to our 10 o'clock, or maybe we're still struggling, we're getting here for 10 and all that sort of stuff, and you know, some are early, some are late. We come for our worship, our worship team serve us so excellently. We're blessed, oh, we had a new song this morning, don't know whether I knew that, or you know, that was good, or whatever. We evaluate this, we have a bit of the teaching, we go out of here, two hours, good, we've done our bit for God, and by the time Sunday evening comes, we're coming back under the authorities of depression and despair and anguish, because that's what the week is headed for us and we're now feeling a bit more numbed and the things of God have gone away from us and yet we are supposed to be discipling the nation. And that is why we need a touch from him. Because we need to connect in with him. We've walked for so long hungry for him but not quite wrestling and getting hold of him. You know, recently, um, through various circumstances, uh, I've been brought to the attention of this book, a book by, Catherine, a book by Robert Learden about Catherine Coleman. And somebody read, somebody read a passage uh, of that to me, which really struck me, so I bought the book and have read it. Catherine Coleman, who you may not know about, uh, she lived from, I don't know, something like the 19, 1907, I think it was, 1907 till 19, 
1977, something like that. She was a, a lady who was, uh, started off being an evangelist, brought up in a strict home, uh, started off being an evangelist and preaching, and she set up her own ministry and began to have quite an effect on the early radio stations in America. She would preach out the gospel. That would have an effect. She was able to build a church, establish a church, quite a large church, sort of Pentecostal preaching, the, preaching the message of God. People were being saved and added, and she was having a big effect in her nation. She actually ended up as a woman who conducted healing services worldwide. She would come on on the stage dressed in a sort of a flowing white gown. She would be very gentle. They'd have worship. And then she would just literally move up and down the stage and she would look over the vast congregations because there were thousands that came to her meeting. And she would just point out and say, somebody over here is being healed of a back problem now. And it wasn't just like a few words. People were being healed and set free in the meeting. It wasn't everybody. She used to walk away from the meetings not worried about those that had been healed, but anguishing for those that hadn't. There would be people who come in their wheelchairs, and sometimes she'd just turn over to the wheelchairs and she'd point to somebody, and people would get up out of their wheelchairs healed. Do you know what? She had so many people healed from crutches and wheelchairs that during the time of the Vietnam War, she and her ministry was able to collect those things together and send them out for the people who were being shot and wounded so that they might have stuff to help them. Literally a recycling, as it were, in the healing business, in the medical business. She was able to do it because she, had, she knew the Holy Spirit. And there's things in the book which really struck me because... It's so good. Not only is it good to hear of somebody who lived recently, but this isn't a woman who was living for herself. This is a woman who was living for God and for the purposes of God. How did she move from being just an evangelist to a healer? It was through a difficult process. As an evangelist, she had another evangelist come to her church, a guy called... But I know his first name was Burroughs. I can't remember what his surname was. A guy called Burroughs, and she fell for this guy, and she married him. He actually was divorced. That was kept a secret. Just before she married this guy, she thought, I don't think I'm doing the right thing. But she married him anyway. She started to live her life with him. After a short while, it came out that he was divorced. And in those days, I mean, now it's not so much of a, a problem. It's not a problem in our society. In fact, it's an ease in our society, as we know. But for her, this became a tarnished reputation. And in actual fact, her church collapsed. The ministry collapsed. Life was a great anguish. The book doesn't actually go on an awful lot about this, but she came to a point before God of utter surrender. And that means she gave everything, everything up for him. God, whatever. And she knew one of the things to give up was her marriage. And she actually, one day, closed the door of her home and never went back there again. She lived a single life completely. After that. She was a broken woman. And she terms that, she terms it as a day 
when Catherine Coleman died. I'm going to read a little bit of an extract for you in a moment because I want you to catch a glimpse of the heart of this woman. I want you to hear the language that she uses because this is the language that we need to seek. This is the sort of thing, you know these days in churches people just tell you all you need to do is to say a prayer of commitment and everything's sorted out. When you hear the language that she uses, you start to understand that if you're to walk in the anointing that she walked in, then something else has to take place. The great thing about this book is the guy isn't writing about her in his language. He is quoting parts of radio broadcasts, of statements that she has made. So really, he's just gathering together stories about her that are truthful and putting them together. So it helps us to get a real picture of the person, not like, oh, I think this person was a saintly person and how wonderful they were and painting the picture of that. Let me read this to you. I want to share, this is her speaking on radio in America. I want to share something that is vitally important. I do not believe that God has given me, this woman who is drawing thousands of people to her healing meetings and seeing hundreds of people being completely set free of their sicknesses, I do not believe that God has given me something special. God has not given to me one thing that he will not give to anyone if you pay the price. I'm not special to him. He'll give you absolutely everything that he has given to me. I would like to tell you the price is cheap. Everybody's out for a bargain these days, but God has no bargains. Young people, I would lie to you if I were to tell you that it comes cheap. You see me walk out there on the stage, and all you see is the glamour of it. And it looks so glamorous. All you see is the glory of it. That is all that you see. A reporter said to me the other day, what do you do to prepare for a service like this? And I said, sir... I stay prepared. Everybody these days wants something for nothing. You don't get something for nothing. There is a price and it depends on what you want most. Just face facts. This generation doesn't want to face facts. But when you're dealing with the spiritual, it's the most important thing in the world and you've got to face the truth. When I walk out on that stage, I know what David meant when he said, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I probably know better than anyone else in this place what he meant and how he felt. I'm not afraid of Satan. I can use the same weapon on Satan that Jesus used. It is written. I can face Satan. I can face all the demons of hell and use the same weapon on them that Jesus did. I fear no man, but I fear lest I grieve the Holy Spirit, lest his anointing shall leave. Yesterday, the thousands in this arena only saw the miracle. And they saw the glory. But very few of them could see the price that was paid before these miracles took place. He can take everything that I've got. He can strip me of everything I've got, leaving me but the clothing to cover my body, leaving me with the shoes on my feet, and I am willing to go out there and live on bread and water the rest of my life. So help me God. If I'll preach, if I have to preach it from the street corner, but take 
not thy Holy Spirit from me. Can you get a feeling of what this woman is saying? The most important thing to her was the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. She goes on to say, I cannot use the Holy Spirit. I can't do it. The Holy Spirit must use the vessel. Understand something. You can have the greatest talent in the world, but it will never accomplish anything for God unless the Holy Ghost uses it. Not by power, not by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And you come completely dead. You can say, how can you get that way? I can't tell you. I don't know. I only know that Catherine Kuhlman died. You want to know the secret of this ministry? Catherine Kuhlman died. We talk about the death of Jesus. That was his cross, my friend. That was his cross. And the word says, take up your cross and follow him. I've got a cross that I've got to die on. Beloved, there is a cross. Jesus talked much about his cross. That was his cross when they nailed that body on the cross. That was not mine, it was not yours, it was his. A cross is the symbol of death. We don't like to talk about death, but we've got to face that. Sooner or later in this natural life, we're going to have to face death. Everyone, whether you like it or not, I'm talking this moment about death to selfishness. This is a selfish generation. It's a selfish age. People are selfish. That's the one thing people never recognize in themselves. No one ever has been known to confess that he was a selfish person. But we are selfish people. I was born without, I have no talent, nothing. That's the reason probably it was easy for me to say, take nothing and use it. For some of you, it may be a little harder to die on that cross. That cross is there without exception. You're faced with a cross, your cross. What are you going to do about it? When you face the cross, remember, it's what you want most. I could read on, but I won't. The point I want to make is this. For us to become the Elijahs of our day, and I believe that actually when you look at Elijah, it's interesting, the spirit of Elijah was to come before Jesus Christ was to come. Why? What is all that about? I was thinking this week, because you know that John the Baptist, was the, well, he was the Elijah that was to come. That's what the scriptures tell us. There was this sense of Elijah has to come again. What are we talking about? We're talking about people who have a heart to see their nations transformed. That has to come back. It has to come back. And you know what? The church of today needs the spirit of Elijah upon it. We need to have a heart for our nations. We need to have a heart that motivates. It's all very well about us going out here and talking about things, but you know what? God hasn't asked us to go and talk about it. He has asked us to go and do the works. Faith without works is dead. But so is works without faith. And we can embolden either of those two. They have to stand together. There has to be faith that is the motivation of the works that we're doing. 
So often we can do the works, we can even do what appears to be good things in the eyes of the world. We can be serving people, we can be helping people, we can even be feeding the poor, clothing the poor. In the eyes of the world, what a great work, but unless it is being done under the instruction of God, by faith in Him, knowing that this is what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do, in the end it can be a work for the glorification of men. We have to get to the point that Catherine Kuhlman was talking about, where it is no longer for my glorification. There is no point in me preaching a sermon that makes me look good and makes you feel happy, because that isn't going to get us anywhere. What we need is the presence of God to come. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need him to come to our lives. We need to know that he is real. We need to know that he will not forsake us, that he will not leave us. As I was thinking about these things, first thing this morning, I was asking God, I got, to my, I got on my knees and I was saying, God, we cannot carry on like this. And yet the word of God says he is an ever-present help in time of trouble. His word will not fail us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. God is already on our side. God is waiting. But we come to that equation, if God is waiting to help us, and we are praying, why is it that he isn't here? Why is it that he hasn't broken into us? Why is it that he hasn't caused the miracles to happen? And I was thinking about that. But I thought to myself, you know what? I still want things for my ease. I don't want to lose my position of ease. I don't want to lose my position of comfort. I don't want to lose my reputation. I don't want to look foolish in the eyes of other people. I don't want to just do these things. I, there are things that we all hang on to. Whether it be me as a preacher, but I'm sure even our worship leaders would agree. You know, as much as we're wanting to give everything for God, there is a point in which we still want to look quite good. We want to be accepted. And I don't know what situation you're in, but it's true for all of us. And you know what, James? I was led to this. James says this, you do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you ask to spend what you're having on your own desires. In other words, Lord, bless this sermon so that I might look good. Bless this sermon so I might be great. And forgive me, Rick, but I'm sure you'd be saying, bless the worship time, but there can even be a hidden thought within us because I want to look good, you know. I still I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to be embarrassed. We ask still with corrupt motives. It is time for us to go back to God and to look at this from a different angle. As I was praying, I said, God, please, there must be things that we need to do. And that scripture came to mind, which John mentioned last week, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And I thought about it for a while and I thought, you see, God is saying, look, there is an order of things. So what do we do? Let's pray. Hang on, what was the order of things? The order was this. Turn away from your pride. The order starts with humble yourself. The order starts with humble yourself. What does it mean to humble ourselves? It means this. 
Lord, we love you. But in all honesty, we're lacking your signs, wonders, and miracles. We're lacking your conviction. We're lacking desire. We're lacking the ability to repent. We're lacking the ability to surrender. Lord, we know what you've called us to. We know what your word says. But Lord, within ourselves, we are desperately struggling to have a go at those things, but we find it difficult to yield ourselves to those things. God says there is an order, and his order is this. Humble yourself. In Psalm 51, he says this, a broken and contrite heart I will not despise. Which means we can go before him and say, Lord, even if our starting place is to say, Father, we are here to pray that we may humble ourselves. But at least we're praying in the order that he has called. We're seeking for him. We don't know. I haven't heard our prayer meetings where we come before him and we, we're still coming before him saying, you must, we want to bring our lists. We're still coming before him because we have our agendas as if we really know. And we're not saying that our lists aren't important because there are things that matter in our lives and there are things that matter to God. But hang on one moment. If we want to see God come and move amongst us, we must be prepared to abandon ourselves. The ministry of Catherine Corman, to use her as an example, took off with God when she came to the point where she said, Catherine Corman died. She died. That's it. My life doesn't matter. I don't know what it is to die. My flesh life is still alive. It gets in the way, it confuses. We need to remember the flesh is against the work of the Spirit. The sons of God, the sons and daughters of God are those who walk by the Spirit. You cannot walk in both of those frameworks at once. You are either walking by the flesh or you are walking by the Spirit. The sons and daughters of God walk by the Spirit of God. You see, so often we just think, as long as we pray, as long as we pray, God's going to answer. In his word, that is not true. The arm of the Lord is not too short that he cannot save, nor his ear too dull that he cannot hear, but your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from your God. There are issues. There are issues that are at stake. You see, how often in a service, in an eva in a evangelistic service, do people talk about there is a price to be paid? Jesus paid a price. He said this, of us, you are no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. You belong to me. Does my life truly look as though I am owned by Jesus Christ? Or do I still keep getting to those points where I think, no, not now. I've had enough of that church stuff. We did that this morning. I'm going to get on with what I want. See, that isn't surrender. That isn't dying to self. That is being resurrected to self. That's getting back into your own strength. That's getting back into your own ways. Within each of us, there is a desperation to see the purposes of God fulfilled. There is a desperation to see breakthrough. 
We have to face the facts. We must be looking at the issues that are going to help us to get the breakthroughs. We've got to look at the realistic things. There's no point in talking about the stuff that is quite good or entertaining. We've got to tell the truth as it is. And even as I proclaim this this morning and talk to you straight, as it were, and you become offended, then listen, I'm going to have to live with that, but I'm not going to be held accountable for not telling you the truth. Ultimately, who do I fear more? Who do we fear more? Do we fear our colleagues? Do we feel the, fear the people around us? Or do we fear Almighty God? The Word of God we know says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The commencement of wisdom. Just the start of wisdom. Perhaps we need to address a number of things. We need to come back to God and we say, Father, we know what you have said that will institute revival in our land. You have said if my people will humble themselves. You have said if my people will pray. You have said if my people will seek my face. You have said if my people will turn from their wicked ways. And I believe you go through that circle because you get revelation. As you seek his face, you get revelation. You come to the point where you say, Lord, you no longer want this in my life. I have to let it go. I'm turning from that wicked way. I'm no longer going to walk in that. And then you think, I still haven't broken through. I come back. I humble myself. Father, I need more revelation from you. And I pray. And I'm calling out for him. We need to do it, folks. We need to do it. Otherwise, what are we going to do? We're going to come back here a year's time. We're going to be going through the same thing, same structure, same ways, and getting the same results. Can we afford to go to heaven and actually just stand before God and say, we gave it our best shot? When he said, I have given you everything you need for life and godliness. We sang that new song this morning, the dead are, what is it, the lame are, what is the word for it? The blind shall see. Da 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 No, that one. John the Baptist, a man of God, suffering in jail. He had a moment of anguish. God understands that we all go through anguish. God understands our hearts. John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus. Are you the one? John the Baptist had received the revelation from heaven that the one whom he saw the Holy Spirit fall upon when he baptized was the one, was the Messiah. So here's a man of God. He's under pressure. He's getting clouded. Things are building up against him. So he sends his disciples. Are you the one? I don't know what he was hoping for as an answer. I don't know what he was expecting. But Jesus turned to his disciples and says, Guys, listen. Look what you've just seen. The lame are walking. The blind are seeing. The lepers are being healed. The dead are being raised. Go back and tell John. Go back and tell him. Jesus Christ came to set us free. He didn't come to 
the mediocre. He didn't come for lukewarm. He came to set the people of God free that they may arise and fulfill the mission that he has put before us. Yes, I want us to go away and think about our neighbours. Yes, I want us to go and evangelise them, talk to them, help them, love them, encourage them, cherish them, build them up. But you know what? I want us to go away and declare before God, Lord, you've called us to disciple our nation. And we're committing ourselves to that. We're going to pay the price. I don't know what the price is. The price sometimes takes you through difficulties. Sometimes it means that you've got to lie on your side for however many days it was, like the prophet Ezekiel. Just imagine if God said to you, listen, I can help you to get a breakthrough in the nation. I need you to lie down on your side for 365 days. What would you say? You're an idiot? You don't know what you're talking about? Or would you say, God, I know your voice enough to know that if that's what takes breakthrough, I will pay the price. Catherine Coleman walked on the stage. She wouldn't actually walk onto the stage until she knew that she was going out there with her best friend, the Holy Spirit. She knew she couldn't do anything. She knew she could look at the crowds, and in one sense, as Catherine Coleman, hi, <laughs> nice of you to come. Hope God turns up. You know. She didn't do that. She walked out there knowing that the Holy Spirit was leading her. And when the Holy Spirit says over there, she would speak. When the Holy Spirit says over here, she would speak. When the Holy Spirit says that's enough, she would go. She was given to the Holy Spirit. The challenge that I'm putting before us today is this. Are we ready to arise and I'm not asking anybody here. In fact, I can say I, I'm no expert. But I know the way that we need to go. I don't know all the ins and outs, but I know in this room there is a multitude of gifts that God has brought together. But those gifts aren't for us as individuals. Those gifts are for the glory of his name. Those gifts are so that together we can see Bromley being transformed. It is possible. It is more than possible because he is an almighty God. But we need to humble ourselves. We need to come to the prayer meeting. Listen, let me talk about prayer for just a few seconds. The stuff I'm talking about is exemplified in the way that we meet. You and I both know we do not have a hunger for prayer. I know we talk about it a lot. I know we talk about it. The truth of the matter is, we're struggling with it. I know that because I struggle with it. Because we don't know him enough. We know him as much as we do. In fact, we know him a little bit more than we used to. So therefore, we think we're on the right track. Humble ourselves. It is time for us to come back to our prayer meetings with a new attitude. An attitude that starts off. Lord, I'm here to be taught. I'm here to humble myself. I'm here to repent of my sin. I'm here to admit that I haven't got it together. I'm here to admit that I need you. I'm here 
to be transferred. I'm here to catch up with your purposes. I'm here to get in step with your purposes. I'm here to present myself to say, Lord, I need to hear your voice. I need to know what you're saying to me. I need to know your leading. I need to know your guiding. I need to know, oh God, the things that you have for me. If we do what is right, the Lord will listen to us. If we do what is right. See, so often we know what's right, but we're not doing it. Because we're too proud. It doesn't fit us. I thought about this this morning. Cain and Abel, you know that's, that's where that phrase comes from. God speaks to Cain. He says, if you do what is right, will you not be heard? Talking about sacrifices. And I thought, you know, the issue of the Cain and Abel, John mentioned this last week because it says in Hebrews 11 that Abel offered a, a, an acceptable sacrifice by faith. Excuse me. By faith, Abel offered an acceptable sacrifice. You know what we've got in our minds is, as John says, one was an arable father, farmer and one was a livestock farmer. Okay, so what we see is we see that Abel, he's the livestock guy, so all he did was bring something out of what he was doing. So then we take the same methodology across to Cain, and we say, this guy's right, because all he's doing is bringing something out of what he's doing. We haven't thought about this. God spoke to them. God spoke to them. Because you see, the action of faith is taking hold of what God has said and bringing it and making it your own. So we see this being exemplified in Abel. What God spoke was, I need a blood sacrifice. It just so happened that Abel was the guy that was part of what he was doing. And you see that this is true because God goes to Cain and says, Cain, if you do what is right, then I will accept you. And this is what we do. We are like Cain's. We hear the word of the Lord... God has said, I want you to bring this type of sacrifice. I want all of your lives. But we say, listen, we'll give something from what we've got. Because we are, well, in this case, we're arable farmers. I've got a really nice selection here, God. Look at that. The Harvest Festival would be so, so proud. If I took this to the school, I would be the king of the school. Look at this. This is the best of the best of what I have. And God says, listen, sin is crouching at your door. Because you see, the sin is the sin of rebellion. It's the sin of disobedience. It's the sin of not giving ourselves to what God has asked of us. And the result of that is that we fall away from the presence of God. The story is the same. The story is the same. We have to receive it by faith. What has God asked of us? God has said, when you pray. Simple obedience. Simple obedience is all that's required. Remember the story of Naaman? Naaman was there, he had leprosy. He'd heard of the prophet Elisha. And he'd gone to see him because he'd been told, this man in a foreign country whose God is Yahweh, he'll help you. So he goes to see this prophet Elisha. He gets to the prophet's front door, thinking, like, I've got all these riches, I'm going to give him the gifts, he's going to heal me, great, everything's going to be sorted. So Naaman's standing there with all of his finery, because he's an important guy. 
and Elisha sends his servant to the door. Oh, hi. Yeah, nip down to the River Jordan, seven times under the water, sorted. Closes the door. Whoa, hang on one moment here. I've got some finery. I've got some stuff. Are not the rivers back in my own country cleaner than that? I'm not going to that wretched place, Jordan. Why should I do that? The attitude that we have towards the purposes of God. That's too good for me. I'm doing something else. Fortunately, his servant said to him, hang on, hang on, hang on one second. Why don't you just do what you've been asked to do? Naaman had the grace to humble himself and he went and gave it a go. Seven times in the River Jordan, he came up, his skin was completely clean. He was a transformed man. Transformed by obedience. I think we need to be transformed by obedience. We need to ask God for the grace to seek him. We need to ask God for the hunger to seek him. We need to ask God to stir us to seek him. We need to ask of him. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. And in Jeremiah 29 he says this. You seek me with all of your heart. You will find me. I will be found by you. We do not have a God who wants to remain distant. We have a God who wants to come to us, to transform us, so that through his power, the world might see him. Not us. We have no significance. We are merely vessels, merely the clay in the potter's hand. But all the time that we're seeking to be something, he can't use us. Not the way he wants to. Let's humble ourselves. Rick, I wonder if you could come up. We need to go before God and we need to ask him for hunger for him. We need to ask him to make us hungry for him. We need to ask him to come and meet us. We need to ask him to come and stir us. We don't know how to humble ourselves. Let's be honest, we don't know. So let's ask him. But let's not just say, oh God, please. We need to have a desperation. Maybe we need to even start praying that, God, you need to make me desperate because I'm not desperate. I'm complacent. I'm numb. Be honest with him. He knows the situation anyway. Maybe we're just afraid. Lord, I don't know what are you going to ask me to do. I don't know whether I can do it. He never asks us to do anything that he has not already fully resolved. He's never going to be a debtor. He's never going to abandon us. But in honesty, we're afraid of losing our reputation. We are afraid of what people think. We are worried about looking stupid. We're worried so much. That's why we can't arise to be Elisha's. Elijah's. For the tape, I made a mistake. See, I'm making mistakes all the time. You should relax about it. What we want is him. Rick, can you just play for us?
Father, we bow before you. We present ourselves before you. Lord, we need you. We need your presence, Lord. Lord, we need your presence. As a people, Lord, we are hardened in our hearts. As a people, Lord, we hardly know you. We know about you, Lord. We know lots about you, Father, but Lord, you've not called us to know about you. You've called us to do your works. Lord, you've called us for purpose. Lord, we are here because of your calling. We didn't choose you. You chose us and have appointed us to be fruit bearers for your kingdom. Thank you for coming to us. Thank you for rescuing us. But Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We ask today, Lord, that you would help us to cry out to you. We ask today that you would help us to call upon your name. We ask you today, Lord, that you would help us to have a hunger for you, a desire for you, a desperation for you. Lord, we know that this isn't necessarily going to come in five minutes. So will you give us the grace, oh God, to press in? Will you give us the grace? Will you give us the tenacity, Lord, not to stop? Will you do something within us, Lord, that's, that makes us, that compels us forward? Lord, we want to see your kingdom come. Call upon him. Lift up your voice before him. As the music plays, don't worry about quietness. Rick will play louder. But you have a purpose in God. You have a purpose in God. You have been chosen by him and for him. You need to come to him and say, Lord, I'm not here for a waste of time. I'm here for you. I need you. Let's lift up our prayers before. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or you're after more information about Bromley Town Church, do visit our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com.